Empire. Triple Play Fantasy's football show with D. Mindy, Brastadamus, Doc, and Johnny Foosball starts now. We welcome in a man, a very decorated one. This NFL running back was a two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl 25 MVP, two-time Pro Bowl, first-team All-Pro, and 1979 Offensive Rookie of the Year, and 1989 NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Whew. He seemed to have a different nickname for every peak and valley in his career. <laughs> the man whose Topps rookie card sells for $2,000. Yep, really? that right. <laughs> 2K. We welcome in Otis OJ 10K Anderson. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. I need to find that card. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's got to be a good feeling knowing that your rookie card is worth more than some people paying rent a month, right? <laughs> well, if you live in New Jersey or uh, New York, you know, you, you, that ain't enough money. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly true. OJ, I know that when we had talked last week, you were getting the COVID vaccine. How are you doing? How's your family doing? Everybody's well. Thank you for asking. Um, we finally got our second shot last week, uh, the 25th. And uh, so far, everything's been going well. It's uh, It's been good. We we didn't get sick as most people who has received the shot. So um, I guess it doesn't happen to everyone. As they always say, they don't, really don't know what it's going to do to whom it's going to do it to. So we came out okay. Yeah, and I mean, you and NFL running back, that vaccine doesn't stand a chance, just like a lot of those linebackers and corners didn't. But, OJ, what I like to do is start with the early years. And you were raised in Palm Be- West Palm Beach, Florida. and That's attended- right. Yeah, don't get confused now. <laughs> Palm Beach is where the rich and elite live. I live in West Palm Beach. So it's a big difference. Yeah, I- I'm I glad I included that. Too. I was going to ask you about that a little later. Yeah. <laughs> but you did attend Forest Hill High School, where you starred in both football and track. And starred might be an understatement in football – as you broke every school record, you were a man among boys at that level. And to put that into context, in your last high school game, you ran for over 200 yards and three touchdowns, which is more than all of us did combined. But there is a question that Brad did want to ask about your upbringing. Yeah, OJ, you brought it up. You know, I was I was wondering what, what it was like growing up where you did. You know, it has a reputation of being one of the most affluent areas of Florida, but West Palm Beach in particular is, you know, it can be pretty segregated and, you know, there's a, a lot of economic um, uh, dichotomies there from from the other side. So, you know, how, what was it like growing up where you did and, and how did it shape you? Well, let me just say that if we was poor, we didn't know we were poor because we were all in it together. One big melting pot. Me and all my friends, we lived in the projects of Dunbar Village back then. And uh, based on the family size, depends on what section of the project you lived in. If you had um, family of one, maybe two kids, you live in the front part of the of the project because they were mostly flats. 
And then if you had four to five, you kind of live in the middle of the projects where they actually um, uh, start building the just two-story buildings. And then there was a section where it went back down to one story. And then you get to where you have five kids or more. And that's where we were in the back of the project, which uh, consists of more kids. So um, if we were poor, again, we didn't know it because everybody in there were were government assistant program so mm -hmm. um, we, we 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 just knew that we didn't have what all the other people had but what we did have we felt it was equal to everyone else so you I were happy you you felt like you had the community with you and you 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 kind of mm -hmm. it still felt like home even though you didn't you know you didn't have what other people had well again when you live in a um what they call the projects when you live in the projects pretty much everybody are the same uh yeah um, and, and they're really, we really had what we call other older guys who was in the project that were mentors to all of us. They were the ones that kind of kept us on the straight and narrow. They was guys who mm -hmm. also played sports and they kind of passed down their, their knowledge to us as far as do's and their don'ts. And so when I started coming up and playing ball, um, most of, most, most things that would have got me in trouble didn't because we had those guys who have already paved the pit, you know, had paved the way for us. So I love it. You're very optimistic. And I had mentioned in the intro, you had a lot of nicknames. And yours in high school was Bucky. How did you earn uh, that? Uh, 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 how do you know that? <laughs> I did my research, man. I see you very, you do it very well. That's how, that's that's one way I distinguish people from New York, New Jersey, and people from Florida. When I played wherever I played and I heard the name Bucky, I knew those people grew up with me. And most people that didn't know that would call me Otis or OJ. And I knew they were from the new the new era. They didn't grow up with me. So they didn't know <laughs> but uh, my, my mom told me a long time ago that it was a, a DJ back in the day that she thought just was just real cool. And his name was uh, Bucky something. And she just thought that would be a good nickname for me at the time. So um, I kept it all the way through Little League and everything else. And then when I got to uh, middle school is when I changed from Lucky to OJ or Otis. And that's only because it, you guys don't remember this because you're too young. But back in the day, we used to have to write uh, when we turned in assignments or we did any kind of assignment in the classroom, you had to write your name the class that you're in and the date on the right-hand side of the paper. So I used to always write Otis Jerome Anderson because that's what how we did it. So one day I just said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. So I put OJ Anderson and I never got any complaints from the teacher. So I ran with it from that point on. So, and, and I ran with it from, you know, all the way through junior high school, high school, and then when I got to Miami, I can't never forget when I got to Miami being recruited, I went and see one of the uh, quarterbacks. They were like sophomores. And I remember a quarterback by the name of Frank Glover. <laughs> he was from Atlanta, Georgia. And I walked in. He said, oh, we got the new juice in town, you know. And <laughs> that's the first time that the OJ and the juice start flowing together. And he was the first guy that ever said that. So – that point on, everybody kept calling me OJ, and as I made my own identity, it was always OJ or, or Otis. And I know uh, right now today, um, um, George Martin, who's is like a mentor to all of us, 
he'll call me Juice every time he sees me. He'll say that. He's very sad to call me OJ. And I know it's not because of Simpson. It just flows that way. Mm-hmm. Otis, OJ, Juice, Bucky, doesn't matter because your success didn't go unnoticed. And as you had mentioned, you played at the University of Miami on a full athletic scholarship. Not only were you the first player to rush for more than 1,000 yards in the school's history, you did this while earning a degree in physical education. You were named the Sporting News and the American Football Coaches First Team All-American Honorable Benchens by both the AP and UPI. And when you graduated, you were the school's all-time leading rusher. And you were inducted into the school's Hall of Fame in 1990. But I know Kevin has a question about your draft. Uh-oh. Yeah, OJ, after playing with the Hurricanes, you got drafted with the eighth pick by the in the first round by the St. Louis Cardinals that year. I want mm-hmm. to kind of know, what was the draft like back then? Because we see nowadays, and it's every it's a big spectacle, It's every everybody's interested, it has a big experience, cameras, everything. What was your draft experience like? Well, we, we didn't have the glamour like these guys did. Um, and I can only speak about mine. Yeah. We, we had the local press that was at my house when I was in the project. It was kind of like a – it was a big deal because – when you had newspapers or, or or anything like that in the in the neighborhood, normally something bad has happened, you know. <laughs> so, so to have all that kind of press and they was all humming in on my house, all all my friends who I played with and and people who grew up in the project, you know, and kids who were younger, they was trying to figure out what is going on. Why are these papers and all these cameras are, you know, like, what, what did he do or what didn't he do or something like that? So. It was a little more downscale than that. We had like most of your local TV television uh, stations following you and a few newspapers would follow you all local though. They didn't go national like it was uh, uh, like it is now, like a big production. Well, we would have made it a big production. And (laughs) it sometimes takes players a few games to get acclimated to the league, but not you. In your debut, you rushed for 193 yards, which was just one yard shy of the all-time record for an NFL debut. In that season, you were one of the few bright spots for the Cardinals as you rushed for over 1,600 yards, and you'd earn the first of your back-to-back Pro Bowl selections. And rushing for 1,000 yards would be a theme for you as you did it in five out of the first six seasons, the only exception being the 1982 strike-shortened season. My boy, there we go, there we go. Put it out there, put it out there so they'll know. There you go. Yeah, and you would have hit it. You were on pace for well over 1,000. But that 1982 season was interesting because it was a 57-day-long strike, which reduced the 16-game schedule per team to an abbreviated nine. Players didn't have access to training facilities or the equipment they do today. So how did you keep your body prepared for football? Well, you know, again, it was a a team effort to even be on the strike. Uh, There were some guys who – we just got into the league and, you know, financially it was kind of a burden on all of them. So us guys who had more seniority and had kind of, you know, benefit from being in the league a little early was able to help out some of those younger guys. But we did it as a team, man. We we worked out together. Um, I, you know, I was close with Roy Green. And I'm not sure if Theodore Brown was still there in 82. He might have been. But Roy and I were like roommate. Willard Harrell, who was a mentor to me, Roy, and Theodis back in the day. Uh, we, we just worked out. We, we we knew that we needed to stay as a team because we didn't know when it was going to end. And uh, and it tried to be best prepared. And I tell you what, we barely missed winning the division that year. We we lost to uh, Washington team by um, Mr. Field goal. 
but we were, we were close to winning the division uh, in 82 and, you know, but yeah. No. And, and I love, you know, kind of in the 10 minutes we've talked, you seem very team oriented from your growing up to your playing days. And I think that that's part of, of what made you a really great player. And, Unfortunately, you'd have a few injuries towards the end of your time with the Cardinals, and ultimately they would trade either the Giants in the middle of the 1986 season. Mm -hmm. But I'm a believer in things that happen for a reason, and your reputation didn't guarantee you the job. You were deep on the Giants' depth chart and were viewed as a goal line and short yardage back. You were used Mm -hmm. sparingly in the 86 and 87 season, although you did score a touchdown in the Giants' victory over the Broncos in Super Bowl XXI. But one thing you didn't do in your Giants' tenure was fumble the ball. And I know that is important to coaches. This helped you earn the starting job in a Bill Parcells ball control offense in 1989. You'd rush for 1,023 yards and a career-high 14 touchdowns while adding 88 ca- or 28 catches for 268 yards. If winning comeback player of the year wasn't sweet enough, you rushed for 21 carries for 102 yards with a touchdown, winning the Super Bowl 25 MVP which might be one of the best seasons for a running back ever. I can't think many that top it. So, OJ, I just got to know, how was that season for you? Well, it, you know, I, I started the season, like you said, in 89. I went over 1,000 yards and was uh, given the position. But in 90, we drafted Rodney Hampton, number one. And when you get a, a running back number one, like I was when I was number one, chances are they're going to get the job. And I recall that uh, we were playing the Cowboys out in Dallas, and Parcells called me in a private meeting and said, listen, I want to play Rodney Hampton. I think he's ready, but I'm not sure. I need to know what you think. And I said, well, he, I, 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 he's ready, Coach. He said, well, do he understand his blitz assignments? I said, yes, he does. He said, well, I'm just telling you this. You've been mentoring him for, for a while now. If I put him in the game, because I don't believe in playing rookies, I can play you. But if I put him in the game and he don't pick up those blitz, don't you get on the plane? To, don't get on the bus to take you to the plane because you need to find another way back to Jersey. <laughs> so, so I mean, seriously, he said it that way. So I go to Rodney. I said, Rodney, please tell me you understand all the blitz assignment. He said, yes. So I quizzed Rodney. And he was like, he knew what he was doing. I said, okay. Then I felt good about it. And, you know, Rodney played the whole 80, the whole 90 season, believe it or not, until 91. And we played our first playoff game against Chicago. And that's where he go down and I come in. Yeah. And that's the thing is you're always ready in any role, it sounds like. You retire after the 1992 season, finishing your your career with 10,273 yards. So we got that OJ10K nickname there. There you go. Total touchdowns. But I know there was a question Brad had about a comment you made about a current Giants running back. Yeah, you know, Eric said he noticed that you're always ready, and I see you got your your Giants hoodie on. You know, I saw that you you said you know Saquon Barkley has a chance to be one of the greatest Giants running back running backs ever if he takes care of his body. I'm curious, you know, can you talk a little bit about what you were doing in your playing days to take care of yourself? Um, I, I just learned from some of the older players who played the game. One thing that I knew you had to do during training camp was to ice your body down as often as you can. It kept it helped rejuvenate the body and refresh you for the next afternoon practice or it helps you for the next day. So I always did that. Um, when I was in the weight room, I, I worked on things that I felt that 
I'm going to utilize more than anything else. Like I wasn't a big guy for squatting. I didn't think squatting was good for me because I, I just didn't believe in it. I would do leg extensions and leg curls because I knew if I build up my quads, I found out that I found out that what causes hamstrings are weak quads. If you got weak quads, you're gonna pull your ham. If you got poor, uh, if you got strong hams and not strong quads, you're gonna pull your quads. So I learned uh, early on that I started exercising with the machine they call a Cybex machine. They didn't even have it anymore, and it was a machine that you sit down in and you strap your your lower leg and your thigh, and you work on doing extensions, and it based off your own power. The faster you mm-hmm. go the harder it gets, I think it was. And you had to snap your leg out forward and pull it down hard as you can. So I worked on those kind of machines to keep my hamstring and quad together. That helped me sustain through the season. And then I worked on stuff that, like I said, what I use. I use a lot of shoulder press. I did a lot of dumbbell, dumbbell curls because I knew as a running back, I used my shoulders a lot to shear off blocks and, uh, and curls and Overhead press were the two things I really concentrated on. Um, not much bench press. I did some, but I I, I did a lot of dumbbells and uh, press behind the necks and stuff like that because I needed to build my shoulders because the main thing you hurt when you play football is that AC joint. A lot of times I get hit and separated, whatever. So yeah. I, I did that. And and I learned to give the, give the blow instead of receive the blow. That's what we had Brandon Jacobs on a couple weeks ago, and that's the same thing he said. It's got to be something about these Giants running backs, just like giving the blow, right? Yeah, well, you know, Parshall uh, said you don't have to be the hitter. I mean, what is it? You, you can be the hitty and not the hitter, something somewhere around. You know, in other words, you can give the blow. You don't have to receive the blow. And uh, that, that's I mean, that's what I did when I was a rookie in the league. I came in that way, and I learned that from a running back that you guys have no knowledge of. By the name of Benny Malone, he was a running back that was played for Miami Dolphins, and I believe he was playing for San Francisco and got traded to Miami. He had one of the wildest running style, but he would bring that forearm and them knees at you every time he was a DB trying to tackle him. And I, I took a good look at what he was doing, and I kind of incorporated that in myself when I was in Miami uh, playing for the Hurricanes and took it on to St. Louis at that time. That's awesome. And I mean, like I said, I love the mindset that you had. There's one more question I know that Brad wants to ask about your football career, because after that, we got a lot of talk about that's not football that OJ Anderson has going on in his life. Yeah, OJ, I got to know, has anybody from the NFL explained to you why you're not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame yet? Like, what's the criteria? Because I think it should be in there. Okay, let's just let's just try to figure it out. Okay, Um, so this is how I've been doing it. And and. I'm just, I've been keeping tabs on who's been going in just because I know it took Harry Carson a very long time to get in. Maybe something against Giants players other than Lawrence Taylor. That was the first time ballot for first time uh, vote. So so I, I, I've been I've been looking at it this way. If I match my career up against all the guys who are currently in the Hall of Fame, okay? If you go like you was mentioned, the first few part of my season, you go 79, 80, 81, okay? Those three seasons. Put my stats up against anybody in there. You'll see where I'm at. Take the strikeout, okay? Go 84, go uh, 83, 84. Look at my stats. Match that up with anybody in the league. See where I'm at. Now, 85, I started the season. I got hurt and missed nine games, okay? 
I started the season off in 86 and then later got trade. So technically, if you were to match my yards, if you just say take the two strike season, take them out and just run my run those five years together and match it up against anybody in the Hall of Fame and you will see my stats are right in there. Yeah. Now, now I'm confused again because I'm not sure how they go about doing doing the the selection. I have no offense against Terrell Davis. He was good running back. He was tough. He um, wasn't drafted high. He was a special team guy, and he rushed for over 2,000 yards, and he's in the Hall of Fame, and he has 7,000 yards, and he has 60-some touchdowns. I'm confused. I got 80-some touchdowns. I got over 10,000 yards. I didn't go over 2,000 yards, but I would have did that. Uh, I would have set the single-season record, record for a rookie against the Cowboys, but I lost my shoot on a play that I only picked up 33 yards. I would have went. I would have went. I would have went for 80. What happened? I lost my shoe. I got behind the secondary, and I couldn't keep my balance when my socks were sliding on the turf, and I ended up falling. I was behind the secondary. I was going for another 80 or 70 yard run. Out of out of my debut, my my debut would have been about 260 or 70 yards as a rookie. That's untrue. Go back, look at the film. You see what I'm talking about. Well, so, I know what I'm doing after this. I'm gonna look at that film. <laughs> And then I'm okay. writing a letter to the NFL that says OJ yeah. Anderson needs to get in. Oh, he is crazy, man. That's not even counting the MVP. Let me, let me just say this, guys. Uh, again, I'm not bad mouthing selection committee. Do what they do. They, you know, I'm not bad mouthing Terrell. I, I'm just saying, if it's based on stats or based on something else. If you based on stats, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, there's quite a few people who are in there that are ahead of me, and my stats are better. So I don't know I don't know the criteria for it. So I'm gonna leave it like that. But I do know one thing for sure is I played in the NFC East during my era. That was the toughest division to play in. You had the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants, and you had the um uh, Washington. Washington team. And then you had the Cardinals. You had five, five of us, five of us in that division. And I played against the tough four teams twice a year. Yeah. Twice a year. Twice a year. When you get Dick Vermeil, Joe Gibbs, Parcells, Coach Belichick to to write letters to the NFL Hall of Fame committee and my closest friend Larry Holmes, the champ, all submitted letters to the NFL Hall of Fame about two or three years ago about why I should be in the Hall of Fame. I've had wow. writers that write for the, the, the newspapers have submitted and asked the same question. Why is Anderson not in the Hall of Fame? There are guys who I played against who are Hall of Fame that I play golf with and as they go around, I, and I ask those guys the same question. You know, I, I, Ricky Jackson, who grew up in Pahokee, Florida, his friend, Lawrence, who's like a, a, a good friend of mine, and we work working buddies. I asked Lawrence. I asked uh, Richard Dent. I've asked guys who I played against and guys who um, who played a little bit before me. And I asked them, I said, 
God, can you explain why I'm not in the Hall of Fame? And they all look puzzled and say the same thing. We don't get it. We yeah, don't get and, it. So, I, and I don't so either. And there I don't go. either. And, you know, I, I want to kind of get on something happy because football was just the no, beginning of your no, 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 that's happy. It's okay. It's okay. Happy. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't depress me because I didn't play my – I didn't play football to be a Hall of Famer. I played football because it was one way for me to help my family and it was entertaining to me. It was a chance to, to, to. It's like playing little league football. This person want to tackle me. I don't want you to tackle me, so I ain't gonna let you tackle me. I'm gonna run away from you. I'm gonna run over you. That's how I played the game. So it was kind of fun for me. So it's nothing. No, no I'm not at all. So I love it. It's so optimistic. And football is just the beginning of your successes in life. In 1993, you began your career of entrepreneurship and motivational speaking, and you've appeared in numerous media outlets, including The Letterman Show, Good Morning America, Tosh.0, among others. And some of your entrepreneurship ventures include involvement with United Way of America, National Multiple Sclerosis Society, and the Breast Cancer Foundation. And in 2017, you dove into my field, sales, as you began working as the vice president of business and development for Metro Exhibits selling trade show booths and services. So I'm familiar with that side, but OJ, you've done so much in your professional career, sports, motivational speaking, media, sales. Is there a job or industry that you'd like to work in that you haven't yet? No, I'm I'm like a a, a jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) Uh, um, You know, I I think Parcells always told us, you know, the more you can do, the, the more valuable you are to the team. So if you can, if you're only one dimensional, then you're not useful to a team because if, if you can't help me more than one way, then I don't need you, kind of. So I kind of apply that in life and, and in business. I don't want to just do one thing well. I want to do a lot of things well. My goal is to be as big in business as I was in football. And, and to me, that is kind of elite because – I wasn't a bad football player or a bad athlete, you know. So I know business is a little different, but yet there are a lot of similarities. So uh, with with working with Metro Exhibit, with me and Lawrence Taylor and Mark Navarro as business partners in that company, and we got another company that we spent off of that company because trade shows weren't doing well because of the pandemic, we started a company called Tridelics. And Tridelic is a 5D company that can transform image imagery images into into a photo that looked like it's in a shadow box with five to six inch of depth perception. So imagine imagine a hologram and imagine a hologram 5D, meaning the perception of it is so deep that you think you can reach in and pull it out but it's not, that's what we've been able to create. And the slickness of it is, it looked like it's eight to nine inches in depth and it's only an eighth of an inch in plexiglass or acrylic. So think of a nail file, a buffered nail file. That's how I fix the side of the image. And once you see it, you actually think that it is um, deeper than that, and the box that it's sitting in make you think that. Now, if you got a minute, I can run and get one out the car. 
and show you what I'm talking about. Because I mean, it's not going to do the real justice to it, but you can get a, an idea of what it is if you want. I can run and do that right quick. But that's up to you guys. We got we got time, man. All right, give me a second. So that's what it looked like. Oh, that's cool. Oh wow, that's uh, that's nice. cool. You see now, you see how deep it looked. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. I like for, that. For and anyone that's, that's listening to this interview, make sure you go to the video so you can see this. This is really cool. Yeah, that's just the frame now, right? That that's that. Now remember, I said how thick it is. I want you to look at this one. That's inside the frame. Check this out. Tell me who you think this is. Kevin Durant. That's oh, KD right there. Now, now look at the the depth perception of that. Yeah, that's very cool. That would be right. incredible now, for like say, trading cards and this. all that. Now watch this. Now remember I said how thick it was. It looks really deep, right? Look how thin it is. Wow. Now look how wow. deep it is. Look how deep it is. OJ, just tell me how much money <laughs> it is. Yeah, and I'll cough it up. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> now we we. We're, we need to get that. We need to get that on your uh, your rookie trading card, man. Yeah. Well, we, listen, there's some things that we're doing in that manner. Oh, you know what? It's funny. It's LT calling me right now. Put him on. Let's get him on. Yeah, let's let's get him to say what's up. I don't know if I can get him on with y'all. Hold on. Awesome. Well, OJ, we wanted to to end this. I know Kevin has a question, and there's something he can relate to you about. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, OJ, but my kids are trying to get in here. I have two little girls, four and two, uh, and I was just, as a girl dad yourself, I want to know, how did you make it through the teenage years? Because I'm barely making it through the uh, pre-four-year-old years, and so how did you do that? Uh, good luck and a lot of prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and and man, it's, it's, it's trial and error. I agree. Uh. Uh, that that's great parenting advice from, and I'll remember that when I have some kids. We're speaking with Otis OJ Ten K Anderson, two time Super Bowl champion, super time Super Bowl MVP. OJ, we like to get our guests out of here with a little rapid fire, some this or that. You down? Go for it, man. All right, some of these questions you might have not been asked before, but I'm interested to hear. What was the better award to win, Super Bowl MVP or Comeback Player of the Year? I, I think Super Bowl MVP because not a lot of us. Okay. All right. Which jersey did you like wearing better? The Cardinals red or the Giants blue? I, that's that's a toss-up because the Cardinals gave me my birth, and, which is the start of my career. They put me on the map. The Giants gave me a chance to show everyone that I'm a player that's of the past and present so that's a talk up buddy all right so just just visually wise the colors which one did you like better <laughs> you guys gonna let me get out of there guys. that's no question all right now we'll, we'll we'll go to the next one <laughs> would you rather never lose your phone again or never lose your keys again oh man i, I say my keys yeah I, I, I do all right without my phone. Sometimes I need, I need to leave that phone alone anyway. Okay, that's a good answer. Would you rather have a hook for a hand or a peg for a leg? <laughs> I'm going to have a what? Like a hook for a hand like a pirate does or a peg for a leg like the little wood stick? Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to say a hook. 
because I love my legs. <laughs> okay. All right. You can only pick to go by one name the rest of your life. Are you going by Otis or are you going by OJ? My mama called me Otis. <laughs> Great answer. Good answer. Do you prefer your orange juice with or without pulp? No pulp, man. Who wants pulp in orange juice? Thank you. Thank you. There, I can't believe there's actually some people that prefer to have pulp. So I'm, mm. I'm glad that we're on that same page. Mm. Would you rather always hit a red life or a red light for the rest of your life or always get slow internet after the sun goes down? <laughs> you, those are two way opposite situations. Yeah, but they're both awful. Oh, man. Uh, uh, I'm not big on the internet. I'm gonna take, you know, I'm old school. So give me stop. <laughs> okay. You can pick one utensil for the rest of your life: fork, spoon, or knife. What are you picking? I'm probably gonna pick. What'd you say? I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> it's a tough one, right? <laughs> well, I'm thinking fork because yeah, I took it before. Because I can, I can stab you. I can do, you know, I can do things with a fork. I can do more things with a fork. A knife, I can use a slice or jab, but I can't really pick up mashed potatoes with it or peas with it. But with a fork, I can pick up all of it. So, yeah, with a fork. Yeah, fork is the right answer. And people are like, oh, what about soup? And it's like, well, you can have chunky soup or you can slurp it. You can't do that with a spoon or a knife. You're actually, oh. you're actually not the first person to say you could stab with a fork. Because <laughs> well, I mean, that question goes into, into what all you can do with the knife and what all you can do with the fork. I first thing comes to my mind is I need protection. <laughs> uh, you, you know who said it? Oh. Hugh Jackson. Hugh oh, Jackson said a knife. Yeah, he, he said a knife, but he said he could stab. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there you go. I mean, right. almost right. We got a couple more here. Would you rather ruin the surprise at a surprise party or show up and realize too late that it is a black tie event? Uh, black tie event. Okay, yeah. that's. I would, I would hate to ruin the surprise for a surprise. Yeah, that, that's, it's a pretty awful feeling. Yeah. But black tie, you know, you get away with As athletes, we get away with how we fish them, so it's easy. That's true. I should have thought about that caveat. The last one. If you scored a touchdown today, what would your touchdown celebration be? Get a ball to the fisher. I always do that. Ah, uh, OJ, you're such a good guy. I was hoping for uh, a little. No I don't need to show up. I mean, that's your job. That's why I don't understand these players. You get beat by thirty points. You make a sack and you do a dance. You do a. <laughs> that's come on. You should get shady stuff. You figure lose. <laughs> oh man! If there's one thing to take away from this interview. OJ's a team player, he's humble, and he does his job. OJ, thank you so much for joining us. And if you want to see more of him, you can follow him on Twitter at OJAnderson24. It's a nice little pic of him showing some bling bling. Uh-huh. OJ, is there anything you wanted to plug to our audience? You now you talked about Tridelics. Go to Tridelics.com and see the things that we're doing. Uh, again, Lawrence Taylor, Mark Vidalro, it's our business. And we're trying to make a difference uh, the way new technology is done. You heard it. 
Go to that site right now and check out some great ventures from some great people. We will catch everyone next week. Make sure you guys stay safe. Mm-hmm.